What's up, Waffle House enthusiasts? This is the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the <laughs> podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders to learn some new tricks and to find a better way. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Adam Johnson. And here in Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan right now. How did you know I'm a Waffle House enthusiast? Well, most musicians are. It's true. Um, and here's the thing. I'm raising a Waffle House enthusiast. My daughter... Um, last year asked to do her birthday party somewhere fancy like waffle house man that's classy yeah the height of sophistication it is it is so we did we actually had her best friend maddie and we brought in balloons and like decorations and we decorated a booth and the waffle house people like literally had never seen anything like it but they loved it and um we did we had her fifth birthday party at waffle house that's awesome. Yeah. We um we we do like the advent calendar with like activities and stuff and and yesterday was dinner at Waffle House. So mm. um, and and there's one right by my office that I have kind of adopted as far as, you know, breakfast in the morning. Sure. Hitting that up. Uh it is <laughs> low carb friendly. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's easy to do keto at Waffle House. Indeed. And uh Dan and I were actually just talking we were both noggin at the moment. We got the nogs happening. All right, here's the question. Are yeah. you are you a nutmegger or an anti-nutmegger? Uh, I'm, I guess, agnostic. I don't oh. typically garnish mine, though. But if I... I, I yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit a nutmeg if I can find it. I just now could not find it in the spice cabinet. Yeah, we were using, like, pumpkin pumpkin pie spice, which is kind of... Work. It's nutmeg and a bunch of other stuff, so... Yeah, I guess that'd work. I'm not... The only objections I have to that are, you know, traditional. Yeah, well, mine has no sugar in it, so what do I know? Yeah, tradition's already out the window. You're right. It's like I said, it's still it's fairly passable. It's got heavy cream in it, which you know, yeah, the s- stuff you buy out of the oh. you know off the shelf uh-huh. does not. It's still yeah. very, very, very nice. Yes, indeed. As is the you know double shot of bourbon I put in it. It's important. Anywho. Is that the cl- oh the clock strikes eight? Oh yes, that's the church across the street from me. Sometimes, uh, sometimes <laughs> as we're recording, you can hear what time it is. So, what have you been up to, man? Well, uh, let's see. Last weekend we did. Well, last week was bonkers. I did um, trivia night on Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, which was a ton of fun. Seventies um, night, seventies night, and yep. and I stumped him with a couple of things. I stumped him with. Um, well, I didn't stump up, but it was harder than I expected. Uh, Scarlet Begonias. Um, the whole room was like, oh, it's the dead, right? It's like, yes, it's the dead. Um, and then um, and then what I expected to be tough was not, which was um, Peace Train, Cat Stevens. Okay. Um, I really thought that was going to be a little tougher, but it was not. Somebody had it within the first couple of chords. Um, it's really fun. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a, a, a young man, early 20s, um, who's a blues... Uh, he has won a couple of local blues contests. Like there, there are blues association challenges that he's a, uh, so it's like a, like a, like a really leading light blues guitarist. Yeah. And, um, and his band is called um, whiskey Foxtrot and they're incredible. And he and his family, um, his mom and grandpa who are also in the band um, have been out to this event that I do. This is the second time they came out this, this week too. And um, it's just really fun. They're just really, it's really um, an honor to, to have, you know, sort of leading musicians in the neighborhood um, at this show. It's really nice, really very cool. And then Thursday, um, so that was Thursday night. Friday night, I played with Viva La Muerte at um, Angela's Ale House, which is a place I've played with the Clanky Lincolns before. 
Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then with the Lincolns, we played a party um, at a place called Revolution Mill, and I'll have more to say about that in a bit. And then the cool. other thing that I did, of course, was a ton of prep for my Christmas thing, which is on Saturday. Nice. So, yeah, I was doing some uh, Christmas prep as well. We've got a uh, we've got a private event on Monday, um, and. They didn't ask for it, but I didn't want to show up empty-handed, so we're prepping three holiday tunes. Yep. And I'm just putting clicks and stuff together, and man, it's been a minute since I've kind of used that muscle. My workflow is a little mm. rusty. could use a little little tightening, so. What you really want is automation, of course. Yeah, that's not quite uh, in the cards right now, so uh, I will just have to do what <laughs> what I can do, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't have, uh, we haven't had any gigs in the meantime. Um, like I said, we have this, uh, this private event coming up on Monday. Uh, we've got another one on the 21st. And then as of next year, we have six dates before April, okay. which I'm feeling pretty good about. You know, we haven't put out any new promo material. We're still, I'm hoping to get first draft of, uh, the promo video, uh, on Monday and, um, yeah, just ready to uh, to crank that out and have it ready for our, you know, just to kind of do like an email blast. And uh, right now, the main thing we're really pressing for is uh, the January 5th date at uh, Venkman's because it is a public ticketed event mm-hmm. and we got to get people to go. Right, right. So that's what we've been up to. That's good. You know, we're looking at a little bit of a lull, I think, in bookings probably first quarter because um, <laughs> Justin and I just sort of took the second half of the year off from that and... Um, so you get what you get, right? Uh, but I am in conversations with people. We'll probably fill it in with uh, – for, for sure I can fill it in with um, acoustic dates and stuff like that. So I'll be I'll be playing. It won't be the full Lincolns, but – Yeah. Well, very good. Um, so we've had a couple of interesting things pop up. Um, one of the things <laughs> – this might be a first, but um, I am heavily debating on firing a client. Hmm. So – Um, what this, this was an event that was confirmed probably six months ago. It, it's a fundraiser for a charity that will remain un, uh, unnamed. Um, and it was for 2019 and we had a contract sign done. No problem. Um, they asked for less money because it was a fundraiser and we found like a middle ground that was agreeable for, uh, for both parties, um, that we were fine with. So, you know, it was first thing less money. So, um, about two weeks ago, another person started responding to the email chain, uh, who had apparently taken over the event and they were saying that they had to move the date. Hmm. So, you know, we checked the date and we were available for it. It's like, that's fine, but strike two. And, as we're going through and sending the contract again, which again had been signed, we had a deposit, everything was good to go. Uh, they go, we can't provide alcohol. And when we asked why, they said, well, vendors can't drink alcohol. You're not allowed to drink alcohol at this event. Hmm. Which is fine. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that is a, um, that can, that's something that can be negotiated, but we had a signed contract that said that that wasn't a problem. And now right. all of a sudden it is. Right. Um, so, I'm not really, we're not in, in a, a great position to turn down work, but after, you know, those three run-ins, I'm just kind of ready to go. No, nah, why don't you find somebody else? Yeah. What's the date? 
Uh, it's in March. It's it's a bit further off. It was supposed to be in February. Okay, so you're not. It's not like you're screwing them if you back out. No, but it, you know if if this is going to be the posture that this person who apparently is now our part, you know, our partner uh, is going to be taking, it doesn't seem like it might be an enjoyable experience on our end. So, yeah, um, I'll tell you, I I pretty much always come into this sort of thing like there's there is a conversation to be had to make it work for everyone. Um, and I'm generally always willing to give up something for that, but so far it sounds like the give ups have been kind of unilateral. Yeah. We've been giving up and they've been, you know, they really haven't, they don't have, <laughs> they haven't had any issues. So, and, and um, what's the, um, the, the other, the other thing of it that would be there for me is that the issues have come sort of piecemeal. Like, yeah. You know, if the guide said, "All right, here's this contract, and I see we have this contract, and there, I just, I'm, you know, I, I'm sorry for this, and I know it's a change, and I know change sucks and is disruptive for everybody, but there are these issues, and I need just to deal with them." Boom, 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 and had that conversation, kind of like for me, that'd be one thing. Yeah. Um, what what their their approach was was they they were like, "You are a vendor, and vendors can't drink." Um, and I kind of take issue with the fact that, like, yes, we are technically a vendor, but there's a difference between, you know, a caterer yeah. and the entertainment. Right. Because I, I would feel like the entertainment would be in a different tier. Um, and it, it really isn't even the fact that, like, they don't want us to drink. Like, I'm fine with that concept. It was just the way that it was, like, vendors aren't allowed to drink alcohol, which is like, okay, but I've got a contract that says that, you know, you're going to provide X, Y, and Z and that that's not a problem. Right. And that's where, that's where the kind of disconnect is. So, well, um, plus, you know, and, I mean, take it from a bar guy, <laughs> you know, when the band is drinking visibly on stage, it creates a certain kind of bar atmosphere, a certain kind of party atmosphere. If this is going to be a party, you know, the band leading the party is a, a, a part of that. Right. So if somebody just doesn't understand that that's the deal, then they, um, I don't know, what else don't they understand, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've had those situations where we have talked with with clients or potential clients and realizing that um, that we're not a good fit, mm-hmm. and it, it's a lot of time when you know they treat the um, they treat the band like the help. And and it starts to be well, we can't do this and we can't do that, and it and it, you know, you you just kind of know going in that like this is going to be a difficult interaction, right. Right. and it's not. It happens at all levels. Um, I remember you know when I was playing with Yacht Rock Review, and I actually have an, a story about them that I can I'll, I'll share in a little bit. Um, you know, they were making triple or quadruple mm-hmm. what uh, we're making this time, and they were still like having to negotiate things that were in writing on contracts that like, you know, with a paper contract in hand, like, no, it says this, this is what we were told. This is what we've agreed to. This is what we are doing. Um, so it's, it's not, you know, it's not just taking your licks because you're, you know, coming up, whatever it's, it's never ending. It it happens all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, actually, um, there is a, there is a venue in town here. I've played him with, um, Viva La Muerte. I haven't yet with, um, in, in any other capacity. Um, and I saw a, an, a local artist, um, banjo player who normally for me, um, banjo is not an instrument I really listen to, but this guy's phenomenal. 
and spent some time. He did he did some um, like a tour of China and came back doing all this amazing sort of Asian inspired bluegrass Asian stuff on banjo. Mm-hmm. So cool! It's really really cool. Um, Andy Eversoles is his name. You should check him out. Cool. Um, but he he posted about. Um, a gig falling through and wishing that he had a contract and a booker, the booker for this venue said, I'm going to start doing contracts for every single one of my shows because I'm sick and tired of artists flaking out and there being no consequence to that. And, um, and it really surprised me. A lot of the bars around here, uh, and, and I think broader than just here have really no interest in any sort of legal structure around their booking. I think they're handshake, you know, confirm it by email kind of folks. Um, sure. But um, I'm really I was I was very heartened to see that. I'd love to see just casual agreement, you know, on paper be part of the ethos of booking. I think that'd be so great for the whole industry because um, it, it would just it would just cut out a whole layer of mischief that happens. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and it can happen on all levels from all different sides. So totally. Totally. Getting into writing, you know, and for a lot of things, the stakes are the stakes are low and. Having a contract isn't a hundred percent necessary, but for other stuff like we've got a we've got a, a road date in I think scheduled uh, beginning of March in Orlando, and mm. I'm I'm being very adamant about making sure I have all the details up front because I don't totally. want to drive all the way down uh, to Orlando to you know be surprised, right? W- you know when I'm six hundred miles away from <laughs> being able to do anything about it, right? So right, right. Right. I mean, on, on some level, like a, a, a $500 bar gig, why would you bother? You know, is it worth the paper the contract is printed on? Sure. The answer is yes. It, it totally yeah. is. If you have a standard contract that takes care of both parties equally and is a fair and, um, you know, not, not, um, I mean, it could be really lopsided. I think that's the other reason that venues shy away from it is because they feel like a contract that I provide them is going to protect me and not them. Right. Um, but for me, the value of it is that we're agreeing on details like time to start and duration and pay. And um, if they have any weirdness about loud loudness levels, you know, volume that they need to, to take care of, that can get written down. And we can all agree to it and have it all up front and have it all sorted. And you know, it's just a place for us to to have it be official. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like it a lot. Get it in writing, folks. If you can. Yep. If you can, uh, another thing that's kind of annoying me at the moment um, is we've get we've been getting some a lot of web inquiries, uh, what I call tire kickers, mm-hmm. um, people who probably aren't interested in booking a band really at all. Um, they're like, we're looking for a fun band or a or a kick ass band for this event, and you know, I, typically when they say those kinds of things, they're really meaning they want somebody that when we're hammered drunk it's not going to matter how good they are right and we want the cheapest one so when we come back with our standard pricing uh we tend to get ghosted and it's just it's happened like i don't know three or four times in a row in the past couple of weeks and it's just getting a bit aggravating how um let me ask you this how much effort does it take you to respond to one of those very little i mean we are either me or admin just you know we've got a pretty boilerplate response um because these are all you know inbound Mm-hmm. leads that are generated via our website. So it's, right. hey, thanks so much for reaching out to us. How did you find us? Because that's a good piece of information. Mm-hmm. And you say, um, we are available for this date. Our typical setup includes a five-piece band, a sound engineer, lights, sound, and it costs X. 
If you have any other questions, please let us know. We are really excited to be a part of your event. Yeah, good. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, the other thing that we do is we, we also include the phone uh, phone number. Um, we will typically call to follow up. So Yeah, good. Good. I'll tell you this. If it was me, I'd be like, come kick my tires. I want to, <laughs> you know, give me a million of them. If it takes me nothing to respond, then two turning into a gig. Yeah, it's not like we're turning them down. It's just, it, it's kind of, it must be the season for it. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Because, you know, we're not the cheapest 80s band in our area by a long shot. Um, and if you're looking for a cheap one, there's plenty of them out there. So knock yourself out. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that's just me whining. It's not, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that big of a deal, other than it yeah. just being moderately annoying. Right. Do you get... Um, I I think it's probably better on Commanders and Gig Salad. I get um, thumbtack quote requests for parties that are like eight to twelve days out. Yeah, like last <laughs> like super last minute. Constantly, it's so ridiculous. I, I wish people understood like the kind of time frame we're booking in is it's three to six months. You know, we can't. Yeah. And you, it's even further. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, we're basically booked through April. Right. April already. Right. And that's, you know, last year's promo push. So it's not even, yeah, we haven't even put any kind of oomph behind it. So, you know, but yeah, I, that's why we really don't really deal in Thumbtack anymore just because it's just, yeah, it's kind of pointless. I'm about done with it. I bought Gig Salad. Um, I was already on Gig Salad. I bought Gig Masters on their um, Black Friday deal. Yeah. Um, and I've had a couple of good quotes come out of there and I didn't turn anything, anything, but I didn't have to pay to send the quotes. So it felt better. Right. Than yeah. I mean, we, we got probably three, four gigs, I think three gigs from gig masters. So we yeah. will keep it for next yeah, year. Sure. Um, it paid for itself in that sense. So, um, we'll continue to use it, but you know, we spent three years before that with nothing. Right. And now we've got a couple of reviews and, you know, a little bit of cachet and, you know, Again, we don't. We haven't had one in probably three, four months, maybe even six. It's been it's been a while since we picked up anything from there. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. Yep. You know, lead lead generation is kind of a crapshoot, regardless. Um, you know, we had entertained the idea of going to the knot uh, for like wedding band stuff, yes. and they want an arm and a leg oh, yeah. for that kind of access. Yeah, I don't think they're set up for bands. I think they're mostly in, I mean, oh, like they Baker, are most certainly Baker's set up for bands. Well, they think they are. I think, I think people like bakers and caterers can do the economics of it. I'm not sure bands can. Um, it really depends on what you're, what you're looking at because their justification is, well, if you book X number of deals, it'll pay for itself, which is absolutely true. But the upfront cost is pretty considerable. Mm-hmm. It's in the thousands of dollars. Um, but that being said, I know three or four bands that have pulled in, nearly six figures from that website alone. Yeah, yeah I can get it. And I have, you know, um, <coughs> go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, I've got a friend who who runs a DJ business and that is like his, he's pulling in like well into the six figures, mm. uh, strictly from the knot. Oh, fair enough. Like bought a boat, <laughs> you know, sales half a year. Call like, it the knot. <laughs> he's doing okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will say I, I have considered um, getting a booth at a wedding show. Yeah. And just, you know, dressing up and bring in some videos and 
um, maybe bringing down a guitar and a mic and doing some live stuff, taking requests, you know, um, that kind of show, it's mostly going to be about meeting and schmoozing and chatting. Um, yeah. as long as you have a good video playing in the background. Uh, I think that, um, the money of that makes more sense than the not <laughs> for sure. If you're just starting out. At yeah. It. I mean, it, it's more localized in, in, um, like our city has one and then Atlanta's got a huge bridal yeah. show. We haven't done it. It always sneaks up on me. I'm always, I only find out about it like the week yeah. of, and it's like, you know, it's too late, but, uh, it's something we've considered. And if, if I ever get the, uh, the agency part of this thing kind of put together, um, it would definitely be, I think a valid thing to yeah. try out. Yeah. I think it's a good experiment. So on a related note, just wanted to, you know, I was talking about, we're talking about people making good money. And I just, I, I've been heartened this week about um, people being able to make a living and, and do well in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that came to mind is um, my friend's Yacht Rock Review right. um, just signed a deal with Live Nation and Sirius XM to sponsor uh, a spring tour that, you know, puts them all over the US cool. and pushes, you know, advertising behind them considerably and puts them in really cool venues. Um, that's something that just kind of popped up. And so Sirius XM Yacht Rock Radio is sponsoring their tour nice. and Live Nation is booking it. So nice. that is like pretty top tier stuff as far as, you know, even original music, having that kind of um, leverage behind you is just massive. And, and they're, they're literally a cover band. Yeah. That's kind of unreal for cover band. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, just another, um, just another testimony about, you know, having a good niche and knowing how to market yeah. it and, and playing yeah. well. Uh, it's crazy what you can accomplish. Yeah. Uh, the other conversation I had is um, a guy that was in my band in high school. Um, we were both really the only two guys in our school that took music seriously. And he was a little younger than I was. And I was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I took him under my wing you know, as much as a, a 17 year old can take a 15 year old right. under their wing, you know, I knew slightly more than he did. And we both knew approximately nothing, um, about songwriting and, 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 uh, and that kind of thing. And he, um, he has been busting his butt in Nashville for the past 10, 15 mm. years. And it's finally paying off for him. Cool. He had 19 million streams on Spotify this year wow. for his, his original music. Dang. All right. And I, he posted that and I, I DM'd him and I was like, so what does 19 million plays get yeah. you? And uh, I will, I'll spare you the numbers, but it, it is a very sizable, comfortable amount of money. Okay, good. So he, you know, he is making his living writing original music and not touring. He doesn't really, he doesn't have to perform. He, he can, um, he can write and record and promote his stuff on his own. He owns the masters to everything and he's doing really Fantastic. well. So, uh, it, it just put a little wind in my sails. You know, we, we sometimes kind of get down on ourselves and like, Oh, this industry is dying and where are bands going to be in the next 10, 15 years. But, you know, on the flip side, there's, you know, people that I'm directly really, you know, involved with that, um, are just crushing it. So yeah, take heart everyone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, that's all the stuff I really wanted to uh, to talk about. So uh, why don't you well, I have one, dig yeah, into... I have one thing. Okay. Tough rooms. Yeah. You ever played a tough room? Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you what I mean by the tough room. Saturday night, we were playing at a place called Revolution Mill, which is a, um, a converted 
textile mill. Greensboro, North Carolina is, it was a big textile town. In fact, um, until recently, it was one of the only places in the country that still made vintage style uh, denim uh, at Cone Mill here in Greensboro, and um, they just shut mm. down. So now all all denim comes from, you know, great big factory machines or Japan. Um, it was a sad day for people who care about good jeans. Anyway, one of the places that that happened was at this place called Revolution Mill. Um, was now called Revolution Mill. It was one of the Cone Mills facilities back back in the day. And it's now office spaces and high-end um, apartments and some condos and some restaurants. And it's been really converted into this really gorgeous uh, space. And they have a lot of events up there. And we played on Saturday the second annual Revolution on the Half Shell party, which is um, a benefit for the North Carolina Coastal Federation, which is uh, basically their job is to keep the coast healthy and whatnot. And so they feed oysters to people. Um, it was yeah. an oyster, you know, roast and uh, thing. And we, we played it last year and we played outside in a sort of a breezeway area and it was freaking cold, uh, but it was a fun party. Yeah. And this year they were going to put it in a little bit of a different space, um, still outside, and it rained like cats. So they brought it indoors into a room that was, you can imagine, like an old vintagey factory space that was poured concrete, probably 100 feet wide by 250 feet long. Yeah. And not a piece of wood or fabric or anything to be seen in the entire place. <laughs> and um, really, literally, she, you know, the, the, the woman who booked us, who's fantastic, um, said, we're moving in here. It's a little echoey. I'm sorry about that. And I was like, oh, you should be fine. And so I met her outside in the rain, and we walked in, and I was like, oh, let me check out the place. Let me see how echoey it is. is, is uh, it was like very, very lively in there. Um, and... Enough that like I clapped and it was like clap, 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 clap. And they put us in a corner that was all concrete. I mean, it looked like pictures of us looked like we were in a cave. <laughs> um, so it's like, well, you know, uh, I'm, you know, we'll make the best of it. It's all fine. We'll just, we'll run the whole rig kind of quiet. Um, which does okay. I will say this. My drummer, Tony, is a magnificent drummer. He's incredible. And he's not a quiet drummer. He's, he, he hits moderate to hard pretty much all the time. Um, and mostly that's completely fine in this space. That was tough because we had to bring the PA up over him and things turned mushy kind of halfway down the room. Um, I, I set everything up and I started playing some recorded music through it. And by about 10 paces away from the PA, all I heard was the was sort of the, the, the low end, just clanging in the room, just this clang, clangy sort of bass. I know it's weird to think clang is the noise the bass is making, but it was. That was what it was. And um, I went back and I notched out the the low end on the master. Um, I just put a I just put a um, a high pass filter at about like a hundred, maybe two hundred, something like that, and that helped some. And then I realized way back when I had. I had adjusted the EQs on the speakers themselves and I bumped the bass by yeah. maybe eight decibels. So I went and I backed both of those down to about two and that helped a lot too. But ultimately the whole night we were really, uh, detail was missing from our mix and where that's going to hurt you is the vocals. 
So the whole night, yeah. the vocals were indistinct and unclear. Um, and even raising their level didn't help. I was just, it was just loud muddy. Yeah. And, um, you know, at some point we all just kind of shrugged and said, well, you know, in this space, there's just, that's just what you're going to get. There's just no, there's just no way around. You can't beat physics. Ultimately, you just yeah. can't beat physics. And, um, and I will tell you at the end of the night, <laughs> here's the really, the, the thing that just keeps getting me about bad shows, tough shows, t- nights I don't play well, nights I can't sing great. <sighs> at the end of this muddy night that I'm sure we sound like a bowl of spaghetti by about, you know, halfway down the room. Um, everybody loved us. The feedback was amazing. People were totally into it and dancing and partying. We got asked out for beers by people at like the far table, far at the end of the room where you shouldn't have been able to hear a thing, but they were totally into us down there. I had the whole room singing along with purple rain at the end of the night. Um, and it was just amazing show. It's just this really amazing show in this tough room where I just cannot fathom people heard a thing we were doing. Um, yeah. It was really, really something. It was really, it was, a, it was a lesson in how much we care about stuff that doesn't matter. You know, oh, yeah, not that absolutely. We shouldn't care about that stuff and get, you know, hone our craft and have it be as good as we can be. But at the end of the day, it really, it's the energy you put out. It's the, um, it's the spirit you're showing in your performance. I think that's really what communicates. I think that it's actually louder than the music. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I've seen bands where I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get why mm-hmm. people like them uh, because I'm look. but as musicians, we, we are looking and listening for things that the, your the typical lay person doesn't know about or doesn't care about. And I even hate to say it, but like, I think vocals are, are, are yeah. under that. If it kind of, if, if it kind of sort of sounds like it does on the radio, it doesn't matter if the vocals are flat. It doesn't matter if the harmonies right. don't work. Like, Right. The most common people, like the most, like the common audience member couldn't care less. I have a theory. Because they're not there to critique your musicianship. They're there to have fun. And if you can make them have fun, if that song is fun and they're having fun, then that's really what matters. Yeah. And and I have a theory that when they're listening to you, what they're hearing in their head is their memory of the original recording. Yes. And if you you can trigger that, it kind of doesn't matter what you sound like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it that is that is totally the case. Um, and the thing about like we've we've been playing, we've played this one particular venue a couple of times, um, and it's literally a cinder block room with a concrete floor and twenty yep. foot ceilings. But what, what actually that was the gig that um, inspired us to go Ampless, and yeah. it stuck because it does make a huge difference. And we've played there probably three times since then, and it's been it's been way easier. I mean, if we, if we had canned drums, you know, if we had like digital drums, we'd have ultimate control over everything and we could really kind of, you know, cater that sound, um, to, to any room. But even with live drums, it's, it's typically manageable for just about everywhere we play. Oh, I can't imagine if I'd had an amp, forget it. It would have been, it would have been so much worse. Yeah, Absolutely. It's yeah. It's just one of those things, you know. If you're if you're playing in the private event space, there's just no. The, the places you play are not built as uh-uh. performance halls uh-uh. typically. 
at all. You're playing ballrooms and clubhouses and, you know, just spots that aren't yeah. built for bands. So, um, you know, the, the things that musicians have, uh, have kind of innovated to get around those kinds of issues are things like in-ear monitors and, you know, direct to PA solutions for guitar amplifiers and right. that kind of thing. Um, because if we have, if we if we're in a bad room and I'm in in-ears, I don't right. care because everything sounds normal right. to me in my head. And that consistency definitely um, improves your performance. I think uh, a lot of our confidence and just kind of ease on stage is the fact that, oh, this sounds like it always sounds. And, you know, there's less, I don't know, there, there, there are very few right. surprises right. to anticipate. Right. So right. that's why I, I hire somebody to run sound for us. Exactly. Uh, that can be his I problem. Wish that I had had that. Actually, um, I met um, after Soundcheck, but before Downbeat, I met the guy who does all the AV work for that place, for Revolution Mill. And, um, mm-hmm. and he, he was actually the one who said, asked if there was a, there was a EQ setting on the speakers themselves. I'd totally forgotten I'd done that. Um, but, yeah. uh, but he was a huge help. He was a huge help. I walked away with his card and I will most yeah. likely see if I can use him in the future. Cause that was, that was a great help. You know, the other thing <laughs> talking about the difference between perception and I mean, I'm going to say the word reality. It's not like there really is any such thing. It's um, not. Exactly. What is reality anyway? Um, one of the um, things that happened at this event and and the same event last year is we were visited by a photographer for the local events paper, which is called Yes Yes Weekly. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm Facebook yep. friends with her. Her name's Natalie Natalie Garcia. She's a fantastic photographer. Somehow she walks up to clusters of people at parties and gets them to put their arms around each other and smile. And she literally takes one shot and it's perfect. And I don't know how she does it. Yeah. Um, but she's like a party and social life photographer for the, for this, for this events mag. And, um, she took a picture. I had, um, and it was so cheap. It was the cheapest thing I've ever done in my life. And I love it. I played, um, I saw some women sort of kind of bobbing to us. There's nobody really dancing, but there were, there were, there were four women sort of nodding along so I pulled out, um, I will survive. Of course I did. Of course I did. Right. And they all came galloping right up and danced around in front of us. And, um, cause there I will go. survive is an automatic floor filler when there are women in the room and there are always women in the room. So I saw Natalie coming up to take a picture of them as they were dancing and I scooted up to, to be with them. And my bassist came up right behind me. And so the two of us were there playing these three ladies, it, it was, they lost their friend. I don't know what happened. And if you see this picture, you can find it at the Clanky Lincoln's Facebook page. We look like we're having the most fun. It's like everybody's smiling and totally into it. Ah! What had actually just happened as that picture was being taken was I had clocked one of the women in the head with the headstock on my guitar. And she was like reacting to nice. that. And I was reacting to that. And we were both having this moment of like, oh, that happened. And that was right when the picture got taken. And it looks like we're like posing and having this amazing time. But in fact, I'm just looking to see if I've given her a black eye or what. Um that's awesome. <laughs> you know, again, the perception of the show has very little to do with what is um, going on behind the scenes. There was a guy on Reddit that posted a picture. Like he he had taken this gorgeous picture of like a like a night like a mm-hmm. nighttime cityscape, and literally the second he snapped the picture, some guys like projectile <laughs> vomiting on the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly, exactly that's exactly that. that. Yeah. 
That's why that's why I played the you know the the guitars in their right. heads. Impossible to brain somebody with them. I mean, you could, but you really have to yeah. like give yeah, it to them. Go out of tune worse, probably. I you know for sure. Well, actually, no. There's nothing to there's nothing to go out of tune. I'd have to like bludgeon them with the the uh, back end of it yeah. to hit the tuners. Yeah. Good times. So I mean, tough rooms can mean lots of stuff. I mean, tough rooms sonically, of course. That that's something to. Um, you know, that's, that's somewhat out of your control, but like you can also, it can also just be playing to a room of not necessarily a hostile audience, but mm-hmm. an indifferent audience. Like the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. Isn't that what it, um, I haven't played to an audience that hated us. I can tell you that that thing is nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time though, people don't hate you. Um, it's only if you're supposed to be playing swing music and you're playing right. spin yeah. doctors. Yeah. So, um, and that, that's definitely been something that you, you do have to get accustomed to, especially playing live. Um, even playing in bars, you know, sometimes people are there to listen to music. Sometimes they're not right. there to listen to music. Your best bet to have a good night is to promote it as in as a live event, uh, with, you know, music in it. And attracting a crowd of people who mm-hmm. enjoy that kind of thing, um, but that's not always the case. You don't you don't tip, you don't always get that luxury. Um, and there have been plenty of nights where we have played to no one, um, and not necessarily no one, but like being surrounded by people, but none of them are paying attention to you. Uh, last year, we did the opening of a of an mm. apartment complex. And they had us down at the pool. And it was like this gorgeous multi-million dollar high-end apartment complex. And they pulled out all the stops and we were just part of the entertainment. We were we were at, you know, kind of pointed across the pool towards like a seating area. But there was an open bar and there was free food and there was all of this other stuff. And we were just a thing going on amongst 20 right. other things. Um, and we basically played yeah. to no one. By ourselves, somebody maybe somebody would come up, or you catch somebody across the the pool, like kind of nodding nodding to the whatever you were doing. But like other than that, uh, you just had to kind of play the show and and be engaged and present, knowing that like no one cares. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, I mean, I, I can always tell myself in those moments that they're enjoying it in the way that they are enjoying it, you know, which is not real demonstrative. Yep. Um, uh, uh, an old coach of mine um, around uh, public speaking work I did many years ago um, said something that could be paraphrased or adapted here as you just you play the show that you're playing rather than the one you wish you were playing. And True. if the show you're playing involves people who are not paying you any attention, that then that is the show you're playing. And, um, you know, for us... Uh, we're all right with being wallpaper. It's not our preferred mode. I'm not sure it's anyone's preferred mode, but we're okay with it. Um, but, you know, it sure feels better when there's a bump and dance floor. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, talking about perception versus reality. Sometimes people are enjoying it, but aren't showing it the way that oh, we're accustomed to or yeah, the way that we the would prefer them to. I've, I've I've actually given up on so you have dancing those, as the measure of people enjoying it. I've quit on that completely. Yeah. That's not a good measure. 
It isn't. It's 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 one that makes yeah. us feel good. It is validation um, in the most yeah. obvious form. Um, you know, we had done a uh, a wedding at uh, Kiowa at a very schmancy mm. hotel, and we were on we were in a we were in an event space with uh, kind of like bay doors all across the back wall that opened up to this gorgeous green space outside, and you could see the beach and and so we played to an yeah. empty room all night because. To be perfectly fair, um, they could hear us perfectly outside, and it was gorgeous. And so they came back in after the sun went down, but like we had maybe thirty right. minutes left to play, and then they were like, "Well, why? Where are you going?" I was like, "Dude, <laughs> we've been doing this for three hours." More importantly, like we had to like literally pack the car and leave because some of the guys had uh, gigs in the morning. So like. One of the the guy throwing the party or the wedding, whatever, was like, "I will pay you whatever to um, to play longer." And I was like, "I, I literally right. can't take your money," yeah. which hurts because sure. I will always take your money, but I could I could not take yeah. your money. Yeah. So, um, tough rooms come in all shapes, sizes, yep. and, and appearances. Roll with it, baby, like mm-hmm. that Sea Winwood song. Do that sweet thing you do. That guy's amazing. Seriously. Like, you know, I'll just have a 40 year career where I'm just like, Oh, it's a fucking masterpiece. Well, not only that, like, uh, give me some love in Spencer Davis group. He was like 15, 16 when they recorded that. That, that blew my mind. The first time I, I ever heard that was, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, I thought it was some like six-year-old black dude just like giving yeah. his all. No, fifteen-year-old yeah. white English dude. Just you know, I heard this on a I heard this on a record. Speaking of of old school uh, stories, um, have you heard of Mike Judge's new show, Tales from the Bus, yeah. or Tales from the Tour Bus? It is an animated series. I think it's on Showtime, um, and they're they're on their second season. But it is. Um, Stories about famous artists mm. on the road told by the people cool. who were there. So the first season was all country music stars, which I I hadn't had a chance to really back into, but this um this season is all about uh all about wow. funk artists. So they did one on Rick James, they did one on Bootsy Collins, they did one on James Brown, they did one on George Clinton. And you know, with James Brown uh, Bootsy Collins and George Clinton, those all kind of like mm-hmm. feed into one another because they were all right. affiliated at one point or the other. Um, the guys who ended up being in parliament uh, or Funkadelic or whoever, whatever they were calling it that week, um, used to be huh. James Brown's band when, before they, and before that they were their own thing. So it's like this weird kind of like deal where they all yeah. kind of, mixed with each other. The Rick James episode is unbelievable. (laughs) It's really, really good. I think some of the clips are on YouTube, but if you can find it, it's, it's definitely worth it. And our, our, our late great friend Prince also uh, (laughs) plays heavily into that episode. It's uh, it's fantastic. That's all I've got. Well, that's all I've got. Cool. We were uh, we were kind of disappointed we didn't see any videos on the um, 
on the 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 Facebook page this week, we thought we had really sold and inspired you guys. Yeah, I'm to, choosing not to. I'm choosing not know, to take it personally. Step out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. Oh, we probably picked the worst. God, forget it. Right, week or month of all time to assign homework. Yeah. Most of us are just yeah. trying to survive the holidays. The point is, there's the invitation is still open for so. sure. So, yeah, it's not going anywhere. On that note, I'll go ahead and call it for this week. From Atlanta, Georgia, I am Adam Johnson. Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Ray. You've been listening to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, episode 34. Have a good week. <laughs>